If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. It is another episode of DadCast. I am JP. That guy is Nick Martin. How are you, bud? Dude, I'm so good. Yeah? Yeah. Tell me why you are so good so I can get some actual information out of you today. Well, I switched up my workouts again, so I'm like starting to get some bigger muscles, which is nice. It's always you don't always need to be bigger. <laughs> um, I just feel better. Like I feel a lot better than I felt in the last eight months. So good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Awesome. Well, it, it, I know you're about to ask. I'm doing great, too. I'm wearing one of our awesome <laughs> DadCast merch, which you can get, by the way, by going to DadCast.co. Pick up your awesome gear there. Today on the show, man, I got to tell you, I, I've said this a lot in the past on many, many episodes, um, but this is no exception. I am very, very excited to talk with this guy today. Um, legend in the business, musician. He is John Andrasik, Five for Fighting. Welcome to DadCast, man. How are you? I'm great, fellow dads. Good to be with you. Trying to yeah. put some muscles on, too. You know, you need those muscles to play all those guitars back there. So, <laughs> John. No, no, no. It's, it's to chase the little monsters around. Is what the monsters are I remember I remember those days. I remember them oh, fondly. Man. Probably not as fondly as they were, but I do remember them fondly. For as yeah. many guitars as that man has uh, back there, it's funny. He can't even play a single chord. No, <laughs> no, it's yeah, it's sad. It's really, really sad. Image is everything. It, it is. is. <laughs> that's right. That's why, you know, we're hanging out in my beach house in my, that's my <laughs> island back there. Wonderful. Somewhere. Right there it is right go. there. Nice job, All right. <laughs> so I, I, I contemplated just calling you five for fighting this entire episode, but I, yeah. I, I have now chosen against it. And I just will speak to you by your name, John. Thank John, you. the very first question we like to hear um, ask on DadCast, uh, write a passage on the show. Um, we already know the answer, but we are going to ask it anyway. That is, in fact, are you a dad? I am a dad. I have two kids. Um, my son, Johnny, uh, is 23 years old now. My daughter, Olivia, is 21. Uh, she'll be graduating in two weeks from college. So it's a big, big moment for us and our family and uh, wonderful wife, Carla who actually met in the music business, uh, super mom. And um, yeah, as we're at a different stage than you guys, you know, we, we long for those, 
those baby days and the young kids and maybe not so much the soccer practices every, you know, oh. in the to travel teams. But, um, but yeah, I mean, fatherhood has been by far the, the highlight uh, of my life and so grateful to have, you know, two wonderful kids, great family. And my dad, you know, I'm actually sitting here, even though I'm a musician by trade, I still work at our family business. And my dad was very helpful to me um, kind of coming up and giving me opportunities to pursue my craft. And we, uh, I'm sitting here at the business now. I was just talking to him. My son works here. Uh, my mom was a piano teacher. So it's really all in the family uh, with the Andrasics. It's, uh, we're That's very blessed. amazing, man. So what is the family business? We actually, um, wire manufacturing started in the, the 40s um, called Precision Wire Products by my grandpa. My dad was this this crazy cat. He works for JPL, for, for, uh, for NASA in the 70s, kind of doing all the unmanned space flights. As a kid, I had a dream, a dream dad. I'd go to JPL on Sundays. I'd play Star Trek on the mainframe. I'd see all the pictures of the moons of Titan. and Simi Valley? Uh, Pasadena. Yeah, okay. Pasadena is where JPL is. And um, Jet Propulsion Laboratory. Yeah, yeah. Um, and when I was pursuing music, you know, I was able to work at the family business and and but be able to bust out for an audition or be able to pay my rent. And so it's kind of nice to come full circle and to kind of help him out. You know, he's in his 80s and and to kind of help him with the family business. So I go back and forth between kind of music and um, and you know manufacturing and uh, but to have my son here and have that third generation, we realize how special that is. Yeah, absolutely, man. What college is the daughter graduating from here? She's at NYU. Um, she's a little musical theater kid. You know, she's had her dream as from five years old after seeing Wicked 20 times to, to go to New York and pursue it. So, yeah, now the fun starts. Now the real world starts, <laughs> you know. So uh, she's a little nervous but excited about that. But she's a hard worker, you know. It, when your kids are passionate about something – um, you certainly want to um, give them all the opportunity, but also let them understand the real world. So we'll see what happens. You know, if she can make a living at it, great. You know, I I was a 15-year overnight success, right? So I grinded for <laughs> that time. And, and uh, so, you know, you try to give your kids a sense of the real world, but support them when you can, like my dad and, and my mom did for me. That's awesome. So amazing. Um, I did a little deep dive on you uh before you got on you know just to get some information so i'm prepared for the show maybe find some things out that i didn't know prior and i did find something out john and it's something you and i share and i do apologize for bringing it up but we are both grieving just a little bit right now our kings are out of the nhl playoffs <sighs> yeah it's right? uh, you know it's <laughs> It, it, it's there's nothing more torturous than NHL playoffs, especially overtime hockey. And, uh, you know, unfortunately we drew, you know, McDavid and dry saddle again, you know, it's Shaq and Kobe and, you know, we put up a good fight, but, uh, it's hard to beat those two players. Yeah, uh, I know. Man. Especially when, when your penalty kills 40%, but you know, we certainly got a lot better. You know, we could sit here and talk for an hour about, you know, the King <laughs> all being hurt, but the playoffs have been amazing. You know, you see Boston going out, you see right? I know. The Avalanche going out. The, the Toronto finally out. getting that first yeah. round. So, you know, <laughs> as much as I'm kind of annoyed with the Oilers, you know, uh, an Oilers Maple Leafs Stanley Cup final would set Canada on fire. <laughs> so that, that would be pretty fun to see. But yeah, there's, 
There's always next year. I was weeping in my Stanley Cup, you know, my imitation Stanley Cup on uh, Saturday night. So still, <laughs> still, the wounds are pretty tough. <laughs> I I just take solace in the fact that I go back nine years ago and uh, four in a row. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. Dude, but I, you guys got your hockey. I was watching Steph Curry make history the other night. So, oh yeah, well, we can we can get into all ooh. the sports because this man is oh. a fan. He's <laughs> a Dodger <laughs> fan too, right? Well, you know, five for fighting is a hockey thing, right? And, yep. and so I, I've uh-huh. been fortunate to be able to become friends with a lot of these hockey general managers and players and Luke Robitaille's a pal and you know to play at the Dodger you know at the at Dodger Stadium for the Kings Ducks outdoor game Marty McSorley introduced me oh. I'm friends with a lot of the fighters you know because of fight for fighting you know Ty Domi George Peros you know so hockey has really been a wonderful piece of my life and one little quick story on hockey it's just to tell you about hockey players in 2001 I uh, was asked to play the NHL All-Star game when Superman kind of came out. And and so, of course, it was a big deal. It was a Staples Center in L.A. So I was down kind of under, under the in the basement of Staples Center. And you, it, you know, as a hockey fan, when they have the All-Star game, they'll introduce the players. You know, here comes Pavel Bure, skates out. Here comes Steve Eiserman. They stayed out. Well, my wife being my wife, <laughs> she, she, she really didn't understand athletes and their kind of zone of, like, get away from me. And uh, she had my two little kids. Johnny was two. Olivia, uh, Olivia was basically an infant, and she was down there carrying the kids. And she said, "I'm gonna go get some pictures with these hockey players." And I'm like, "I'm doing an interview." I'm like, "No, don't go over there. You can't do that." You know, you know, if it was any other sport, they'd have their entourages. You know, right. throw them. But she walks right up to the line as they're getting introduced. Literally, it's live, and she's, she's with these. You know, you know. As I said, Steve Eisenman, Pavel Bure, all these players. Um, hey, we take a picture and hockey players. Been hockey players. Sure. So th- these guys, they're taking pictures with my wife and my two kids. I'm across the room, like horrified. And the introduction, the the, the, the announcer saying, and yeah, number 22, you know, and they're not coming out on the ice on a live all-star game because they're taking pictures with my wife and my kids. That's all we need to know about <laughs> hockey players. They're the greatest. Mostly they're like farm boys, the wonderful people. And, uh, I love that story because I tell my kids, you know, you know, these guys are humble. They work hard. Um, they practice all the ethics we talk about. And still to this day, I, I think hockey players reflect that. There you go. That's a great story, man. Thanks for yeah. sharing that. Uh, let's back up. I, I know Nick and I are very curious to uh, when it comes to your daughter, she's 21. Um, how did you handle 13 to 19. (laughs) Were there any issues? Because personally, I've got one thick in the middle of it. She's 18. Nick, same thing. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, it's we've had some bump in the roads with for no fault of ours just because, you know, kids are. Was it the same case for you or was she just perfect? No, of course, there's always challenges. (laughs) And, you know, and your kids are so different. And I don't know about the dynamic with you guys, but for me, it was it was a little more challenging with my son. I think daddies and sons have a little um, tougher time to get through, right? Because you got the type A's, you're kind of rebelling, and dad says one thing, I'm going to do the other. My relationship with my daughter was a little different. Um, it was a little more daddy and daddy's little girl. And of course, mm-hmm. daddy tends to let the little girl get away with a little more than a little boy. But I think, I think my daughter had a little more challenging with my wife, just kind of for that same dynamic. Yeah. But but of course, the nice thing is, you know, you can talk about things different ways. You can talk about different things. There are certain things she didn't want to talk to dad about and certain things she didn't want to talk to mom about. So we had a very open relationship. You know, she struggled with some um, anxiety things. And so we had to 
kind of go through that, which was kind of heartbreaking, but inspiring to watch these little kids kind of deal with some of these, these real world issues, especially in this social media age. Yeah. Okay. So we had, you know, we had challenges like any family, but, um, but no, we have an amazing relationship. I talk to her every day. Um, we text 10 times a day and, and she's, um, she's a wonderful person. She has her issues. She has her challenges, you know, and sometimes you scratch your head, but you know, if I've one, learned one thing from being a dad, it's like, you can't expect your kids to be yourself. You know, you can't expect know. your kids to be your spouse. You know, they are who they are. And we got to get over the fact that we have these expectations that, that we've fulfilled. Um, but there's things they do that, that, that different, different, uh, things that we accomplish and they just are different people. So that was, you know, it took me a minute, especially my son to kind of get over that fact. Well, I would do it this way and I would be here. But then there's other things you look at him going, man, boy, I still haven't matured to that degree <laughs> to have that kind of loyalty or trust or, um, so, you know, it's a work in process, but you know, for Livy in particular, it, it was, uh, it was relatively smooth. Um, you know, with of course, you know, the typical teenage explosions. Right. That's you know, what I'm talking about. Was there any, uh, I hate you dad for no particular good reason sprinkled in there ever? Well, put it this way. Um, <laughs> when she was two years old, um, she uh, she had her very strong personality and she wanted to sit where she wanted, sleep where she wanted. And one day, too, we, we had to put her in her room and said, you've been a bad girl. You're going to go to your room. And she's screaming in her room. And we're like, we're not going in. We're screaming. Her, I'm not going in. She'll kill me if she ever hears this. So finally, we we break down. And we open the door and she's, it's like the exorcist. She's sitting there. She's standing in the doorway, completely naked. <laughs> looks at us, And we're going, you've been a bad girl. And she looks us, stares us in the eye and she pees right on the rug. Right in front of us. And I'm like, I look at my wife and we shut the door. We said, we lose. It's over. <laughs> yeah. so she has a very stubborn streak, yeah, um, but also a very kind of loving streak. But yeah, I mean, we didn't have the like, you know, I hate you. I'm leaving, you know, right. running out the door with her. Um, with with Johnny, we did have some of those moments and they were traumatic and and really hard to deal with, especially when your kids get to an age where they can drive away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How did you um, at what age did you start seeing that with your son? Like started seeing the, you know, the, this, that. I don't know. I don't want to say independence or rebellion kick in, but it's a good way to put it. Cause my son is 12. He'll be 13 yeah. in August and yeah. I'm starting to see flashes of it. And it's not terrible. He's a really good kid, a little overly sensitive, but yeah. um, I, try, I want to cut that off the pass if I can. So I ask every dad on this show and it sounds like, you know, you've been down that path. So I guess this is me asking for your advice and the stories behind that. Yeah, I think puberty has a lot to do with it, right? Um, and then they're social. They become much more social within uh, male groups, right? So it's not just you and them. And sometimes you can talk through it when they're younger. But, you know, when when they're early teens, they want to impress their friends. They have this kind of attitude. I think the natural rebellion kicks in. They start playing mom against dad, uh -huh. you know, you know, all that stuff. And and it's it's very hard for sometimes to stay on the same page. You know, again, I have a soft spot for my daughter. My wife has a soft spot for my son. And we have to talk a lot about, hey, we need a united message here, mm -hmm. because if we don't, 
they're just going to, you know, play it and take advantage of us. And they, they did to some extent, they still do. And then throw in grandparents and forget about it. <laughs> but, but yeah. I think after, after puberty, it kicked in. And, um, and I think, so, I think you just have to stick to your script and, and stay disciplined, understand that a lot of times they're going to break the rules again, or they're going to, you know, they're going to grant you, or there may be some screamy matches. I think it's very important and it's hard, but to try not to engage emotionally. Um, you know, if they're screaming, if they're loud, if they're um, profane, just unacceptable, the tendency is to try yeah. to give a little bit back to them or find other ways to punish them for that. And to try to, you know, to try to know, say, to try to be, okay, I'm going to leave right now. We're going to take a break. We're going to talk about this later, but you're not going to allow them to change the dynamic of the consequences. Um, I think that's important uh, uh, to speak with one voice with your spouse. Try not to to get into the emotional escalation of it, um, but also when you lay down a consequence, follow through with that consequence. Yeah. And that can be hard because they're smart. And yeah, and way out of it, and they'll say, "Well, what about this? You didn't think about this." And they'll find the one. They're great lawyers. They'll find <laughs> right. one crack, the one crack in your argument, and they'll go down that route. And then you know, then they'll get moments. So. So it's tough, but also, you know, it's not a perfect, there's no perfect answer and every kid's different and, and, you know, kind of trust your gut and realize that we're human too. And we make mistakes and, you know, sometimes I'll have to apologize to him. You know, maybe I shouldn't have handled this this way. Yeah. So you know, we, we need to look in the mirror as well as look at them. I'm trying to figure yeah. out how they became master manipulators. Right. Oh, it's so like, yeah, where my, did my you learn this? 25 <laughs> now. And from 15 to 17, that was like the super hard like every day was a battle. He started hanging out with the wrong crowd, got into trying drugs. And yeah. finally, it's like, hey, bud, here's the deal. My my best friend passed away from a drug overdose. So I kind of just was, hey, remember Uncle Josh? This is what's going to happen if you get to keep going down this path. And it was like overnight, a 180. He ended up joining the army and he's been in the army for like six years now. And completely different person now he's like almost 25 and just a completely different person but it was more of a having an adult conversation with him at that time other than you're in trouble you can't do this you're grounded I'm taking your car away like none of that works when they get to that age where they can kind of reason with you more than a two-year-old and you know so it's just it was more of just sitting down like an adult and have a conversation and be like hey this is the realities of what's going to happen if you keep down this path and I don't want to see that. Your mom doesn't want to see that. And yeah. When you talk with them real, it, I feel yeah. it works better. And, you know, we, but my daughter though, man, <laughs> I did try to have a real conversation with her. And it's uh she is the, the ultimate attorney. She is like, Nope, sorry, dad. It doesn't, the world doesn't work that way. I'm like, okay. All right. But we'll talk again in two years. <laughs> yeah. Just another thing quickly that we learn that, you know, sometimes it's hard to have those conversations with your kids because it's like trying to teach your, your child of piano lessons, right? You can't do it because they don't have the respect for you. Some other person that they don't know does. So with my son in particular, um, we needed to go to some therapy and have a, a therapist say those same words to them. Sometimes they listen, sometimes they don't, but, you know, especially if there's some kind of, you know, toxicity in the, the parent-child relationship, they're they're going to rebel just because you're saying it. And so what you said about your friend who passed away from drug overdose, yeah, they may 
intellectually get that, but emotionally they're like, I'm not going to listen to dad. But you know, if there's a therapist or another family member, my, my son really loves my grandfather and my grandma. Uh, I mean, my mom and dad, his grandfather and his grandma, and they can talk to him and say the same words that I say, but yeah. get a much better result. So I think as a parent, you know, you need to be open to those other voices. Um, sometimes it can make you a little insecure, but, you know, it's really about just getting the result. And, and I find as time goes by, now that he's in his 20s, we can have those talks now. He may not like them, but we can have them now. And it's it's productive where, as you said, at that age, kind of almost any talk was was tough to get a result from. Mm-hmm. And the, the other big thing I learned, too, is put the ego aside. It's like, you know, hard. just like you're saying, if someone else can say the exact same words and get a so response, hard. response, yeah, it's like, Okay, cool. Like, if you can get the right response out of him, awesome. Yeah. That, that, that was the hardest thing to learn was, man, I'm the dad. You're not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to put a thought into your head, John. Um, maybe you've thought about this. Maybe you have not. But statistically speaking, within the next five to six years, give or take, grandpa may be on the table. How do you feel about that? <laughs> Let's hope five to six years. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, I'm, you know, again, I'm, we had our kids, you know, a little bit older than some, you know, my wife was in her mid thirties. So, um, Ditto. you know, we're, we're excited about if you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place, and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed grandchildren but we also want them to be in a place um that that the timing's right you know um if if my daughter you know called me and said i'm pregnant and i'm having baby i would be like oh i'm there it's great we're gonna make it work and god god knows billions of people have been through it and it's wonderful and happy endings right but um it's also about finding the right person and you know growing growing and you know meeting other people and making sure the person you know the most important important decision you'll ever make in your life is who you marry. Um, so making sure you got the right person and, and um, that together you, you you find the timing. But if you ask my wife, she'd be ready, you know, if it was just about having a baby to to hold <laughs> and play with. We, You know, when you get so far from those days, you long for those days and you miss them. But we'll certainly be excited. We're not in a big hurry. But um, but yeah, that day, you know, I think the whole dynamic then again changes and and uh, how you view the world, you know, now through not just your children, but your grandchildren's eyes, yeah. uh, you know, you know, it's, it's, uh, I'll let you know when it happens. It's, you know, <laughs> I, my song, a hundred years, you know, when I wrote it, I was in the verse. Now I'm in the bridge, you know, now my kids were, are where I was when I wrote it and I'm in the vamp, 
you know, getting ready for the grandchildren. So I might have to add, add another verse or two to that tune. Or maybe, <laughs> yeah, maybe just a part two. Yeah. yeah 200 yeah, years. Or hundred years, two, hundred years, 2.0. <laughs> right. Squared. Yeah. So take us back 24 years, give or take. Uh, it was a fateful day in the life of John and you were notified somehow, some way that you were in fact going to become a father for the first time. Can you recall that day? How'd it go? Oh yeah. No. Um, you know, we had, uh, struggled getting pregnant. Um, we were, you know, we did a year and a half and did some of the stuff and my wife was doing the acupuncture and, um, and, uh, I was on the road and, uh, she came out and met me in their hotel room and it was the day before mother's day or something like that, or mother's day was, might've been mother's day. And, um, and, you know, she said, you know, have you wished your mom happy Mother's Day? I'm like, yeah. And I called her and, and she's like, well, have you wished me happy Mother's Day? And I'm like, what do you mean? And she's like, you're going to wish me happy Mother's Day? And so then they, I'm right. a little slow. I'm a little yeah, slow. Right. We um, all are, especially yeah, yeah. when it comes to that. Yeah. So, you know, I, I kind of clicked and then we started jumping up and down on the hotel bed and a very special moment. But, um, yeah, I mean, it was it was wonderful, especially because, you know, we'd been, you know, we didn't expect to come in and the whole time that she was doing acupuncture, she was pregnant. <laughs> she just didn't know. It. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Was there any fear when you found of out? Of course, of course, you're a human being. I mean, so many, I mean, the one thing you guys know that the people that don't have kids know is the definition of fear. Um, you know, you know, when it's just you, certain things scare you. But when you have children, you understand fear, um, fear for them, fear for their well-being, fear for your well-being to take care of them because you're, it, be, it becomes not you, but them yeah. right away. Um, and they don't have to be born. So, of course, there's financial fear. There's emotional fear. There's am I going to be good enough? You know, you know, you know, so all those things wrap into it. And, and, and that continues throughout your whole, you know, parenthood process. But. Again, that that's what makes it wonderful because you love something so much it's, that that it, it's it's more than you, and you become a much less selfish person. You can see in my music when I had children, because you know, pre-children the songs were, I wouldn't say selfish, but more self-centered. Yeah. Um, and then when you when you see I have children, I'm writing songs about them. I'm writing songs called "What Kind of World Do You Want?" Right? Because you're thinking about their future. Um, so everything changes, you know, you have to grow up, you have to grow up, you know, yeah. it's that mortgage, you know, that rent payment, mm. that's going to go up, you know, you got to start that 529 or whatever, you know, you got to start planning 20 years in advance. So I do think um, it all changes. But again, the joy that it brings you and the perspective of children, I remember in the music business early, I had very high moments and very low moments. And, but when you come home, and your two year olds there, and they look at you and, and, you know, say, hi, daddy. So much of that just washes away. You uh -huh. know? And it, it lets you know what matters. And, and, um, even to this day, you know, even to this day it, it does. And, and, uh, that's a beautiful thing about parenthood. It centers you. Yes. Let's talk about that evolution and the music. Where is the evolution today of five for fighting as compared to at the beginning? In a weird way, it's kind of back to the circle. Cause you know, as a young teenager writing songs i was just writing songs kind of for my own angst my own expression my own craft um 
it's kind of my passion. And then you, the stars align and it becomes, you know, your income stream. And, and it's, it's a miracle. It's wonderful to have people sing your songs back to you. But it is a business and you have to kind of sustain it and approach it that way. But now I'm kind of on the backside where, you know, I'm not chasing hit singles. I don't have to put a record out. And I haven't done a lot of music lately. I've been doing the business. I do a lot of touring. We'll be out this summer, you know, Bare Naked Ladies Tour. We'll see you there. Um, oh, but, um, and, you know, I'll do 60 shows a year. I have a keynote tomorrow for 5,000 people at the convention center in L.A. So I have a lot of things where I use music, but I don't have this mandate to have, here's a deadline to write a song. So I'm really writing songs that move me. So the last two songs I've written, a kind of example of that, I wrote a song about the Afghan withdrawal called Blood on My Hands a couple of years ago that, you know, wasn't a song on the radio, but it became kind of the voice of many of our Afghan veterans. And and I embedded with many of these groups, continue to do it. Just had an event last night. We're still trying to get 13 girls out of Pakistan. So th that came from music. Uh, I wrote a song about Ukraine. A year ago this month, I was in Kiev, you know, at a bombed out airport recording with the Ukrainian orchestra. Um, and that that song has had a lot of traction worldwide. So the 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 goals are different and the inspiration's different. So, you know, those songs never had once been on the radio, but they've seen and been heard by tens of millions of people. Um, so that to me is where I am right now. If there's something that inspires me, uh, something that makes me want to write something and and say something, that's what I do. And it's a nice place to be because, you know, you have the security of, okay, I don't necessarily need to make a paycheck on this, but also you just have the freedom of like, you know, if something somebody doesn't like what I say, you know, the record company can't cancel me because yeah, right. you know, screw them. You know, <laughs> exactly. So it's kind of a it's kind of a, a weird freedom that I haven't recognized since I was 17, 18, 19 years old. Love that. Man, yeah. so I'm going back to Nick. You're gonna this question I used to ask all the time, and, and I, I just realized as I'm listening to this amazing story that I haven't mm -hmm. asked it in a long, long time. Um, but it seems fitting right now. So, John, have either of your children taken advantage of the fact that you are a freaking rock star, <laughs> you know, in their teens with their friends to meet people, to get tickets to this? Has that happened? Not really. You know, I right. wish it would. You know, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I really was never like an iconic name. People knew the songs and. I mean, maybe they'd want to go to a concert or something, but, you know, my son would always fall asleep by my third song, you know, <laughs> so he was not, not impressed. Right. Uh, I think, you know, if anything, they enjoyed, you know, my son enjoyed some of the sporting stuff that we did because some of my sports yeah. performances, you know, and going to Dodger Stadium. But they've, you know, a couple of their friends are, wow, I like that guy's songs. And, um, and my daughter, you know, being in the industry, She's kind of goes the other way. She doesn't really talk about it because she wants to kind of make her own name. Yeah. Um, so I really respect that from her. But she'll come out and sell merch and and do all that stuff. But yeah, they really haven't used that. And as I said, I'm not sure how much there is to use, but I've kind of always appreciated that that they're, you know, they're not leveraging whatever you know political cachet I have with with <laughs> their friends at concerts. But right, right. And so you know, maybe one day. <laughs> I got a kind of a, a question for you for your, for your daughter's stuff. It, have you noticed a huge difference in the industry from like when you first came up to where now it's all social media based? The reason I'm asking is I, I talk on the, on the side, aside from doing the podcast and I have a band, we just got a record deal, but there's so much 
social media stuff we have to keep up with. Like you have to have X amount of followers to get a booking agent to even be considered for a festival. You have to have so many TikTok views and it's like, whoa. <laughs> so does she, is, have you noticed that with her? Of course. I mean, congratulations on your deal. It's awesome. Thanks. Um, yeah, no, it's the, the game's completely changed and, and there's positives and negatives like everything, right? I mean, there used to be tour support, you know, for record companies and you have a, a guy like Springsteen who didn't break till his third record, right? But the, the label believed him, kept putting him out. That is all gone. There's yeah. no tour support. <laughs> record labels still can, you know, can um, can blow up acts, um, but they're not the artist development um, factories they used to be. On the other hand, you can write a song in, in your room, play your guitar if you want to learn how to play a guitar and sing it. And if it's a good song and you're a good singer, 10 million people can see it. And, uh, you know, the, the, the field's wide open. Um, yeah. So it's, it's as I said, I think the nice about technology is you can make, I call them records still, but you can make a record on for 10 grand on your laptop where it used to take you a quarter million dollars. You can make videos so cheap. So, so as a creator, there's much more of opportunity to build some kind of career. Now, it may not be your, you know, a rock star, your Prince or Lady Gaga, but you can do enough yourself um, to where you can sell a ticket. And I've said this to aspiring artists, and I still do. It's like, it's great to have hit songs. It's great to be a rock star. People know you. But if you're in your 50s and you want to do a show and you go try to sell 500 tickets and you can sell 400, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. So to be able to do that, I think with social media, people, I think with the pandemic, there's this new appreciation for live music. You know, we live in this distraction age, and the only thing that's kind of real is sports and live music. Everything else is basically kind of stream it, do it, whatever. So right. I, I do think, you know, there's certainly opportunities to to practice your craft, um, to maybe monetize it. Um, but again, the the days of you know how the model used to work are long gone and, and oh, yeah, so it's, it's so, yeah it's so different i actually i worked with a band about 20 years ago we signed a tooth and nail records and from those days to what we're dealing with now it's like oh my god like this is so yeah so different like we're right now my guy is he's doing covers of like bowling for soups those guys are buddies of ours um he's doing a lit cover jeremy and aj are going to share it on their social media so we're getting a lot of traction with that which is really cool Billy Joe shared a cover that he did oh. a cover. So that was, that was pretty cool. It got like 4 million views. So we're like, okay, this is, this is, this is kind of how we'll build your social media following. And then hopefully we'll sell some tickets if we get you out on the road and sell some merch, maybe who knows? Cause we're, we're still trying to navigate. Okay. Where's the revenue streams. We've got the social media revenue streams coming in, but now we got to figure out. And, and what's, and, and here's the sad part. I'll the frustrating part is that you, you hear all this that Nick is talking about. We're trying to do this. We're trying to do this. We're trying to do that. This kid has got all the talent in the world and sounds amazing. And it, it is like this guy is a superstar in the making, but yeah. we got to jump through all these hoops. Yeah. <laughs> to realize that when it's like, and that shouldn't be, man, it shouldn't be that way, but it is what it is. I get it. And uh, with his talent, I have no doubt, Nick, it's going to be, it's going to oh, yeah. be just yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah. He'll be, he'll be good. I mean, maybe he can open up for, you know, uh, you know, John here one day. Oh, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> I do it all the time. Or, or maybe John can uh, close for him. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know if a, a pop-up and five for fighting would, would go good, though. I know, hey, dude, I know. When I, first came, when, I, 
when I first came out, because, you know, the Five for Fighting, everybody thought it was a metal band, you know, and as a young songwriter, like, I'll play anyway. They would book me with a social distortion, right? You know, <laughs> nice. I walk out with my little keyboard and I play Superman and everybody's moshing and the, and the social distortion, they're like, hey, that guy's a pretty good songwriter. So, you know what? It's like, if you want to do it, work your ass off, have great relationships, keep writing, don't stick on a song for three years and play any gig anywhere, anytime. I don't care who the audience is. You're going to learn something. You're going to get one fan. And if you have those balls, you know, you got a shot. Yeah. That's the cool thing about this kid. Like he's, he lives in Seattle. He's willing to jump in his van and drive wherever he needs to go play for two people play for 200 people. He doesn't care. He's like, let's just, let's make, let's build relationships and make friends. And I got discovered in a piano bar with three people in it. So, you know what? You never know. Nice. who's going to be sitting there. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. John, you can play a show with any artist, living or dead, who you have not previously played with before. Who's it going to be, and where's that show going to be held? I don't know if I want to play in it, but I'd want to see Madison Square Garden, Led Zeppelin. You know, um, I don't think I could open for them, <laughs> but certainly, um, you know, I kind of just was a little born a little too late to see Zeppelin in their prime. I kind of feel that. I mean, I know you're in your fifties. I'm yeah. I'm right there. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm just a, a hairs yeah. away from that. So I feel like we're kind of bred from the same generation there. And I never got to see Pink Floyd live. I never got mm -hmm. to see Zeppelin. Never. Yeah. I mean, I still have my chance to see the stones, I suppose. Uh, but that hasn't yeah. happened. Um, but yeah, man, you know, Zeppelin. That's yeah. hands down, man. I mean, gosh, I was rocking. I was introducing my high school friends to Zeppelin and which just seemed weird to me. They were already old when I was in high school, right? Oh, yeah. yep. <laughs> well, there's your answer. Yep. Zeppelin MSG. Love it. That's yep. a great answer. And I, Nick, Sorry, normally, normally I do that one much later in the podcast, but I realized I I like, down where we're actually well halfway done here, Nick. It's, oh, wow. you're an amazing guy, John. See, this, it makes, my life's so much easier when there's good stories, there's good conversation, and uh, the guests speak more than one word answers. So, well done. It's a, it's okay. as if you've performed and so been I'm on gonna, stage I'm gonna, before. Like, go, I'm going to go back to one of our former guests. So we had uh, uh what was who was Mark from uh, Grand Funk Railroad on the podcast, Armar. and he was telling really cool stories about helicopters, Janis Joplin, chocolate candies. Do you have any cool stories like that? <laughs> Well, look, you know, the concert for New York was certainly a significant night for me. Um, you know, I just gotten used to hearing my song on the radio, and then all of a sudden I'm thrust into this, you know, just tragic, you know, situation for our country. But I have this song that that provided a lot of solace to people, and they asked me to play, you know, Madison Square Garden with pretty much every one of my living influences. And, and um so, you know, any other day of my life, it would have been like a dream come true. But of course, then it was, you know, talking to the families and yeah, very somber event. But um, I <clears throat> I will never forget, you know, playing that night. And at the end of at the end of the you remember watching at the end, there was this kind of Paul McCartney was out playing uh, to close the concert. And and some of the artists came out to play. And, and I was backstage just watching, just relieved that I was done. <laughs> I was just breathing for the first time in a week. And um, and uh, Melissa Etheridge and John Brondrovi came and said, you got to come out and sing, you know, um, sing, sing with Paul at the, in the encore. I'm like, oh, I can't do that. I'm 
I'm just this guy and you guys are all these guys and right. you you got to come. And they literally grab me and they pull me backstage. So we're kind of b- behind the curtain and, um, and McCarty's out there doing a song and, and, but everybody's there. So there's Clapton, there's Townsend, Billy, um, just everybody's there just standing there, like looking up at the monitor. And I knew I had like, you know, a three minute window. It's like, who am I going to go? say thank you to you know <laughs> so um first one i went to went to mr town townsend i'm like you know you know mr townsend tommy's been in my player for 20 years you know thank you for your rock operas brother you know and by then everybody's a little tipsy and he's like all right yeah right man you all right yeah. so who are right. you yeah right. <laughs> you, know, you know and then i'm like well i gotta say billy like billy was my first concert glass houses you know fabulous forum 1996 tour you a know fabulous <laughs> forum if you do what I do, it's Billy and Elton, right? So, you know, Mr. Joel, I saw you this tour and, you know, you know and, um, and then again, you know, Billy is like, oh, yeah, right. I remember that show, Liberty DeVito, Mr. Phil, or something like this. And, you know, and, and uh, yeah, there's some drunk guy out there. And, you know, Billy's like just ranting. And I'm like, oh, well, thank you, Mr. Joel, Mr. Joel. <laughs> so, so, anyways, that, that, that kind of freaked me out. But then curtain goes down and Richie Sambora grabs me and goes, let's go. And, we stand at the piano and I'm here and, you know, Paul Cartney's right here. Right. Singing, singing Let It Be. I'm, I'm like, for me to use just, you know, two, three feet away, singing Let It Be with Paul McCartney and all these people here. And uh, if you can imagine surreal and, and all the emotions that went into that night, uh, you know, to, to and to his credit to this day, you know, McCartney did put on that concert. And I think, you know, he kind of, we forget history that it was his idea to do that. And it meant so much for our country, um, you know, after that tragic attack. Uh, but yeah, that was quite a moment. And, uh, you know, certainly something I'll never forget. Yeah. I hope there were some pictures taken at least. Oh yeah. Yeah. They're <laughs> out there. Yeah. It's, it's all out wow. there. Wow. Yeah. I was like living that as you were speaking and just, I, I can't imagine. I mean, I've got a few bucket list people that uh, I've met a few of them spoken yeah. with them. Pretty cool. But, all together at the same time that's a little like yeah, overload woo totally. we yeah amazing well nick if you put together a fast five for our buddy I john did. here all right john so check it yeah. out man i uh have worked in radio for the past 20 years give or take uh whether it's terrestrial or now streaming in satellite um and at a, a segment called the fast five where we ask five quick questions and i have given that over to nick so all right. Here we go. All right. See this. What is your favorite food to cook for your kids when they were little? Pasta and butter. Pasta and Pasta butter. And yeah, because they love it. It's easy. easy. They love it. Yeah. Hmm. I'm gonna have to it's try like that. mac and cheese without the cheese. Pretty much. Exactly. <laughs> All right. You could have a billboard with if you could have a billboard with anything on it. What would it be and why? Um. The LA Kings winning their third championship uh, Stanley Cup with me holding the cup right next to them. So nice. we'll, we'll see if that ever comes. <laughs> Nick, I'm sorry. I, I, I want to interrupt this real I'm just, quick. I'm just saying, just just put it out there because you'll become, it'll it'll happen. It, it happened for right. us. Okay. <laughs> exactly. I'm sorry, Nick. That was too, I have to interrupt since it's on topic. Okay. Um, so <laughs> a few months ago, me and my lady, we went out to Vegas and uh, it was our anniversary. Was it our anniversary or was it our birthday? It, no, it's definitely our birthday because the anniversary is later. Sorry, honey, you know, dates. Um, I'm like, you know, what do I, I got to create some memories here. What are we going to do? And I took on a whirlwind trip from Vegas to LA to Disneyland. But I'm like, I got to do something extra while we're in Vegas. So I bought 
tickets to King's Knights. Yeah. And I've been in, and I'm a Raider fan. Okay. I am, you and the Kings are like me and the Raiders, man. I, I, yeah. they're there. That's my thing. It sucks because they've been terrible forever and it's just difficult. But I started leaning towards being a night fan because I'm a, you know, and I haven't been, I've been away from LA for gosh, 20 years now. And hockey's, I love it, but still football's my thing. So anyway, we're there, right? And I found myself being a night fan until the game started. And I look over at her and I says, what am I doing? I've been a friggin' Kings fan since I was a wee little baby uh, growing up in LA. And that was that. Uh, that's what I needed to be smacked me right over the head. And uh, don't you worry, still a Kings fan. And uh, we'll go to a night game before in Vegas. But anyway, we went that night and uh, the Kings lost. <laughs> hey, it's fun <laughs> to go I see. It's like, it's fun to go see a hockey game in Vegas. It's amazing. You know, oh, they, so you know, much they, fun. It was great. What they do with the theater, the, the stadium and all the like, you know, girls with the headdresses running around. It's like right. no other hockey game. And that and, cool little area they yeah. got up top on the side yeah. with the yeah. just amazing. Go, right. They got Jonathan Quick, so we can still I know. how do you feel about <laughs> that? Is that was that like, oh come on? Well, he outlasted the Kings in the playoffs, so I guess I have to cheer for him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. Sorry to interrupt. Number Nick. three. Number, Number three, three, Nick. Number three, your favorite venue to play. Wow. Favorite venue to play. Um, you know, I it's 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 trite, but just because of the history, again, I don't play there as five for fighting, but I played Madison Square Garden twice. Um okay. radio shows and the concert for New York. So just the history of there, going up the elevators, going through the kind of underneath the bowels, knowing what's happened on that stage. Um but the city, I love Minneapolis because that's where it all started for Five for Fighting. So Minneapolis is kind of any venue in Minneapolis. Um, first Ave, go down the list. That's kind of our home away from home. Okay. Cool. Nick, I'm doing it again. I'm sorry. I'm doing it again. Cut. It's on topic, Nick. It's on topic. <laughs> is it though? Uh, but it's much quicker than the last story, I promise. Uh, you just mentioned going in the bowels of uh, MSG. I recently had the opportunity to go in the bowels of the Westgate where Elvis performed. And I got oh, to wow. see his uh, secret <clears throat> mattress room <laughs> in his side of his dressing room. And by his dressing room, it's like a house underneath the stage. Oh my uh, God. And I, I swear, when I was there, I, I just I felt it, you could feel it, man. It's just the presence. And they didn't change it. It's all yeah. still exactly how it was. Barry Manilow performs there now. Wow. Um, but uh, that area, they didn't touch it. It's still Elvis's. And, uh, you know, that was just, that was pretty cool to experience, Crazy. man. Nick, Twilight sorry, number four. Twilight Zone, number four. <laughs> all right. Your biggest parenting accomplishment. My biggest parenting accomplishment. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> I know it's a quick draw. Um, <laughs> Did my kids still talk to me? No, I don't know. Um, <laughs> that you know that um, that I still have a great relationship with my kids, and and that I've you know what? Again, we talked about this, but I've but I but then I've learned that not to impose yourself on your kids, and um, to let them be who they are and support them in those ways. And um, it seems like more of a perspective accomplishment, but I think that's really made our relationships better. And to be able to listen, and um, you know, still be dad but also be, you know, um, a human being and, and, and a, just a fellow human with them. So that's taken me a while, maybe 20 years, but I'm here or working on it. Awesome. All right. Your funniest parenting fail. 
Besides Olivia Peen on the floor. Yeah, I'm like, I think um, we already covered yeah. that earlier. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, oh, my God. Um, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> this, you know, the I don't. Uh, well, I'll give you another Olivia story. And again, this one I'll never forget. You know, Olivia was like, you know, a challenge as a kid and we were driving to Vegas actually, you know, the six people in the car and you got the grandparents and freaking out and she just likes to scream, whatever. And we're not spankers, right? You know, we're, we're people that we're not, you know, we're not going to spank our kids, but Olivia, we got to a point where, you know, you know, you know, we had no choice. So we had really had to pull over in the desert, take her out of the car and Olivia, you just can't do this. You know, you're, um, you know, I'm going to, we're going to have to spank you, Olivia, if you don't stop screaming. And again, just like when she was two, I she turns around with the exorcist grin. Daddy, I like spanking. Oh yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, she sounds like Liam, dude. We lose <laughs> again. We lose right? again. I just put her back in the car. I said, "You guys go. I'll get an Uber." There you go. <laughs> <laughs> they had Ubers back then. No, but I'll I'll invent it just so I could get out of there. <laughs> right. <Yes>. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh! Oh, good stuff. Sounds that, like my two-year-old. Is that five? Yeah. And poor Nick, check this. I don't know if you're aware, John, but Nick, who is uh, in his mid forties, has a three-month-old new baby. Oh, congratulations! Wonderful. Thanks. Yeah, I was almost done, and then uh, I got remarried, and we started over. Boy or girl? Uh, she's a boy, and we have a two. Or sorry, she's a boy. <laughs> she's a boy. In this day and age, hey, it's, it's yeah, 2023, man. brother. Yeah, we're yeah, all inclusive she, here she's on three the and a half months old. I don't think yeah. she can figure that one out yet. Yeah, well, yeah. So she, she wears her brother's t-shirts to bed. She's like, she's on the fence. <laughs> okay, all right, okay. But yeah, no. Uh, uh, so we have a two-year-old boy, and then I've got five other kids, and range from what, fifteen, no, sixteen now, sixteen to twenty-five. Wow, you're yeah, in so it. I, you're a life. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm a trooper. I'm a, yeah. amazing. <laughs> some people call it a glutton for punishment. And my youngest, my baby girl, uh, I related to a lot of things you were saying, you know, she's, I love all my kids. You yeah. guys understand that, but there's something, something about that youngest daughter that hits differently. Yeah. Um, but she's going to be 10 this month. Oh boy. Oh, 10 boy. years old. That's my youngest. Double digits. So, yeah, I know. And you know what she was doing? Literally right before I got on here, I walk in the bedroom. She's got a wooden box. And inside that wooden box is some college ruled paper. And she's writing it. She's being all sneaky. And I come in and she closes it. I'm like, what are you doing? She's oh, like, nothing, dad. I'm like, no, what are you doing? And she opens it. She's like, I'm making a calendar for my birthday. I'm like, oh, baby girl, your birthday is May 31st. That's uh, 29 days away. She's like, I know I'm making a calendar for every day this month for my birthday. I'm like, I'm like, what's going on every day? She's like, things that you're going to get me. (laughs) 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 Like, Oh, what am I getting you today? haven't figured it out yet, dad. I'm only on 30. You know, she's going backwards. Uh, But yeah, man, it's the greatest thing in the world. This dad thing. I love it to death. And Nick, he gets to go through it all again. I I keep doing it over. I know. Going back to the well. If That's you right. just stopped, you'd be a granddad here soon, and you could have, you know, given them back. Honestly, I'm, surpri- I'm surprised that my oldest hasn't called me and said, "Hey, Dad, 
by the way, <laughs> right? I'm bringing grand, I'm bringing grandbaby home with me from, I'm or gonna... I'm bringing that my lady who was going to be, et cetera, yeah, et cetera. Exactly. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I have got one more question for you, sir, sir. But before I get to that question, I want to thank everyone taking the time out of their day and uh, of course checking out this podcast uh, we appreciate you so very much um nick i'm doing it before the end a thank you to our brother podcast the rockstar dad show with Jarrett and gary from bowling for soup check them out anywhere you get your podcast yeah yeah good stuff uh that way we don't i don't forget for when it's later and it's just it's, it's awkward you also um, forgot to do we forgot to part two this one ah no 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 i had it in my head <laughs> i i this it, it's it's john and okay. it's it's five for five this is a one-parter we're not going to make everyone wait this is too good to, to put it in yeah. two uh, or maybe i'm just lazy one of the two but <laughs> i'm gonna lean towards the <laughs> <laughs> i'm the opposite of lazy these days my friend oh my goodness um oh, <laughs> he is john Andrasic from five for fighting the final question and I like to think it is one of the most important questions I ask on this show. And it simply is if you could impart any advice on any new father or about to be father, what is that advice going to be? Well, certainly fatherhood is uh, the most important job you'll ever have. And um, there's a lot of things that kind of put pressures on our lives and, and um, we try to be the rock for everybody. Um, especially if you're the provider financially, emotionally, but, uh, I would say, make sure you take care of yourself. Um, because, you know, I've learned, you know, in my travels that if we put too much pressure on ourselves, it's, uh, it's tough to be as good as we can be. And that applies to fatherhood too. Um, it matters to provide, it matters to make money, it matters to, um, have friends and, and have a good life. Um, but if, if you're not taking care of yourself, you probably won't be as, as able to take care of your kids. So take care of yourself first. If you have problems, if you have challenges, address early. You need help. There's help out there. We dads, we dudes, we don't want help. <laughs> I don't want help for 15 years. You're not going to tell me anything. I don't need to go talk to anybody. Right. But if you need help, you know, um, look for help and, and talk to other dads. You know, uh, surround yourself with other dads and have a community and mentor each other, share stories, share strategies. Um, there's no better job, but we got to be the best of ourselves to be the best dads we can be. So that'd be the, the advice I'd give. Excellent. Very good answer. That's and again, awesome. no wrong answer when it comes to that. I just yeah. love getting other dads perspectives on that. That was very well said. Now, okay. I lied to you, John. Um, <laughs> I did say that was the final question, but Mr. Sneaky Nick over there texted me something while you were uh, telling I us that like answer. He's have one of those epic answers. I, he might. Okay, so oh, let no me pressure. set this up. Let me set this up. Oh, the pressure is on, John. You have no oh, idea. Yeah. So, in my many years of working radio, uh, I, you know, radio interviews, you know, they're like a minute if you're lucky, two minutes yeah. long. So you got to just get through them. And uh, I would always ask, you know, those stupid, basic, random questions until one day, um, and I'll let you know who answered it after I ask you. Um, I asked the question, and this was answered so profoundly that it took almost 18 years of asking the question later before someone came close to answering it as well as this person did. And I'm going to ask you that question now. So no pressure. Again, no right or wrong answer. But depending on your response, we'll see how the story goes afterwards. So what is one thing that John Andrasik cannot leave the house without. 
Hmm. I know I'm making you think because I set it up that way before it just boom. We just ask it. I'm just thinking about your butt. Who your 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 answer of the generation? <laughs> what I'm thinking more. What could that be? Mm-hmm. Um, you know. Oh God. Um, again, it's cheesy. It's not as good as your answer, um, but it's it's the awareness that my family's everything, and uh, that when the day crashes in, um, so- all the other stuff. It you know. It does, everything's a problem till it's till you realize we have no problems. So, you know, um, as soon as something, your family, someone gets sick or something happens, all these things we obsess about and can't sleep about and rage about and drink about, those just seem so trivial. You know, when I went to Ukraine, it's like everything that I, I complained about, screw it. And yet if your kid has a problem um, or God forbid, the one thing about being a songwriter I meet many families who have sick children, who have lost children that, that frankly use my songs as solace. And I talk to thousands of them. And when you meet people who have had the tragedy of tragedies of losing a child or, or sick child, um, all the other stuff we bitch about is trivial. So yeah. when I leave the house, I try to remind myself that, you know what? Kids are doing all right. Not perfect. Life's never perfect. But um, but that's a blessing that I think sometimes we take for granted. So. Basically, in a nutshell, the answer to the question is the awareness that my family is safe, healthy, happy, etc. Nick, okay. Um, I'm going to say... I'm going to talk too. Yes, John. (laughs) What was the other one? I'm going to tell you right now, but I'm going to tell you this. That, in the history of me asking that question, and there's been a whole lot of that question being asked... That's the second best answer I've ever heard. Oh, it might you. even take over the number one spot. Yeah, I might have so, to digest. Dude, so, so, so well freaking done. Now, the answer to that question, I was on the phone with Mr. George Thorogood. Oh, boy. And I asked that question, Hello. George, what's one thing you can't leave the house without? And without skipping a beat, the man says, kissing my wife. There you go. And I went, holy shit. Sorry, yeah. pardon my French, but wow. <laughs> that was no one everyone always says their phone their keys their blackberry back in the you know early 2000s you know it was no you know no one took the time to really think about what i was asking and he answered that and it took forever and then here we are now i know i set it up a little bit if i didn't just ask it like that but that is so he came back within five seconds you know he came back right away you know i i I kind of you know went back to the drawing board a couple times but that's amazing with Thoroughgood. So I guess he doesn't drink alone. He drinks with his <laughs> life. <Good> life. Yeah. <laughs> he was all by himself. All Excellent. Right. Party people. He is John Andrasik. Five for fighting on DadCast. Uh, man, thank you so yeah, much man, for taking the time so out of your day and coming on the show, man. We appreciate it. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you, man. Bucket list item checked. Uh, you demand. Yeah. Guys, pleasure to meet you. Dad's rule. Thanks for doing what you're doing. Look forward to the next time. Absolutely. And to everyone watching worldwide, wherever you may be, however you may be listening, thank you so much for your support. We appreciate you. Uh, Make sure you do all the social media things, like it up, comment, subscribe, all the things. And we'll catch you on the very next episode. Have a great rest of your day, night, whatever. See you. Peace.